This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that owes more than one thing to William Shakespeare. I'm Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, Scott Phillips, and I'm joined by the Founder and Managing Director of Strawman.com, Mr. Andrew Page Esquire. G'day, mate. How are you? Hello, hello. Yes, love the love the very formal uh, introduction. How are you, mate? I could, I'm good. I had to build it up. I, I'm, I'm waiting for you to get your order of Australian medals so I can attack that on the end. But in the meantime, Esquire is going to have to do, or maybe when you're knighted <laughs> or something. Lord, Lord pa- Andrew Lord Page, I think we'll, we'll end up with something like that. So give, give me Lord a few more manor. years. All yep. surveys. Exactly, mate. Exactly. When you are the um, the unicorn uh, IPO for strawman.com, when you're a billionaire philanthropist and uh, an all-round good guy, that's when the Australia Day Council will come knocking, mate, and throw awards at you. At, by the time, <laughs> I'm absolutely sure. I will gladly receive them. Australian of the Year, Andrew Page. It's got a ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> How, how good at tangents. Mate, uh, thank you for joining me this morning. We've, uh, Despite my carry-on, we've got a lot to talk about. And I mentioned at the top, we owe quite a bit to Shakespeare. Now, for those who don't know, the Motley Fool's name comes from Shakespeare. When people say, ha-ha, Motley Fool, funny name, and I get that joke that people seem to believe no one else has ever made, uh, which, frankly, is no more funny than it was the 850th time, let alone the 1080th. <laughs> uh, but the Motley Fool comes from Shakespeare, the, uh, the multicoloured court jester, i.e. Motley and Fool. Um, Much Ado About Nothing is also a Shakespearean line. You, I, you're, a, you're a learned man. You're a, you're a curious man. I'm sure you've seen those... Uh, the tweets and the Facebook posts and the whatever is about all the stuff that comes from Shakespeare, all that language, the quotes and the words and stuff. Isn't that really cool? Uh, 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 no, you haven't. I'm gonna, oh, no, mate, but... I was sure you would be someone who'd, who'd be like, oh, yeah, I've eaten that stuff up. Absolutely. Um, it's amazing. It, it, Shakespeare is example. responsible for so much of our language. Um, I'm looking it up right now, actually. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Vanish into thin air is a phrase that comes from Shakespeare. Oh, There's a method right, to my yeah. madness is Shakespearean. The Wild Goose Chase, The Green-Eyed Monster, To Break the Ice, Wear My Heart Upon My Sleeve, Uh, (laughs) Puking apparently is a word that comes from Shakespeare, according to the good people at Business Insider. I'm sure that's -hmm. that's right. Um, It's just really, really cool. I just, you know, it's it's an amazing kind of... um, there's so much stuff. Uh, what is what else we got here? Uh, what got uh, well, Green Eye Monster? I mentioned that's uh, again being being um, jealous. Jealous. First, she's in Romeo and Juliet. There apparently, you go. so that's kind of that's kind of fun. Uh, what else can I find here? Swagger. The word swagger mm. apparently comes from comes from Shakespeare. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, this is you know. Uh, what, and what's this? What's this got to do with finance and investing? Oh no! Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, just asking. Uh, I just, I just think it's heart of gold comes from Shakespeare, not Neil Young. Oh, cool. But, uh, I was going to say Neil Young, not, yeah. not, not, not J.P. Morgan exactly. Um, <laughs> very, very, very cool. But yes, you, you're absolutely right. This has nothing to do. Well, it has a little bit to do with, <laughs> okay. with finance uh, stuff. Of, stuff that dreams are made of. Shakespeare. Oh, there you go. I'm moving on. Um, it turns out that the phrase "much ado about nothing" is Shakespearean, and I am going to make a half prediction. Predictions are stupid, so I'm not going to do it. But I am, as we sit here on Wednesday, the 16th of March, and, and this is one of those time capsule episodes that someone's going to throw back in a year's time if I've completely, I've got this completely wrong. But as we sit here, the oil price is now back under 100 US dollars a barrel. And yes, at the pump, juice is still $2.20. I paid the other day. In fact, I paid, I put diesel in my Hilux and it was $2.39 I paid, if you can believe that. Uh, and 
Can I tell you, the Hilux got a long-range tank on it, so when I have to fill it, it, it yeah, it's literally like first-child stuff. It was, I, I, from memory, the bill was more than 200 bucks. I think it might have even been $300. Um, it was like, yeah, you know, 100-plus litre tanks. So I just kind of yeah, get, got up there anyway. Uh, anyway, I'm wondering whether all this oil palaver, and by the way, while we're recording this on Wednesday, it's entirely possible the federal government has responded to the perceived problem. I'll talk about that in a second too, uh, with, a, with a policy change. Uh I'm not entirely sure, mate, that as these things move in cycles that you and I know because we've been doing this for a very, very long time, for all of the newspaper headlines, all of the barrels of ink that have been spilled writing about the petrol price, and it's high. Don't, like I'm not, not excusing it. The price is stupidly high. It's costing people a lot of money. It's a very real thing. I just have a feeling, I have a feeling, not a prediction, but a feeling, this might just be transient. We might look back and go, remember when we were all you know, freaked out about the petrol price being too high and calling for excise cuts and all that kind of stuff? And I'm just not entirely sure that, you know, for all of that, it's not just a little bit of, you know, uh, froth and bubble, to use another Shakespearean phrase, uh, cooked up, not necessarily cynically by the media, but overblown by the media because I wonder whether in a month's time we're even talking about the petrol price. That is a bold call. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, Will you take the other side or will you you be on my side on this one? What are you you thinking? Well, oh, gosh, I mean... The, the 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 big the big elephant in the room obviously is Ukraine Russia what's going uh-huh. on there so yeah. and how does that unfold I mean predicting markets is one thing predicting conflicts <laughs> is, is another right. you know they're both diabolically yeah. hard one's ten times yeah. harder than the other so yeah I I but yeah I think if and when that goes well when I mean because it mm-hmm. won't last forever um, I, I think that that will change things but yeah I don't know if I put a month on it I, I it's so hard mate it's so many moving mm-hmm. parts to all of that mm-hmm. um, I, I would say that you know if we if we stand back and we we put aside various sort of one off factors there are mm-hmm. various structural features in play. That was always going to balance off the sort of demand versus the supply, and that that I, you know has been generally trending up over the years. Oil is getting more expensive to find and 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 produce until until then again we had all the the the, the shale uh, oil. Um, oh God, I, I, you've put me in a corner here, mate. I, I, I feel really. <laughs> I just don't know what I don't know what to to, to say or make of it. it it's very mm-hmm. difficult, and I've I have seen. I'm trying to say something intelligent, but I have been, as you say, doing this long enough to know where I've read the <laughs> you know leading economists for such and such, and the other economists yeah. for the or yeah. making these yeah. brilliantly articulated uh, forecasts are just outright wrong. So, so I don't yeah. know. I hope I hope so because it it is it is um, impacting everything. Everything. Yeah, fuel is one of the biggest yeah, household yeah. expenses directly mm-hmm. and then everything mm-hmm. else that we buy, as we've said before, relates to it. Um, and we have a bunch of debt in this country and in the Western world and interest rates are going up. But, you know, <laughs> right. it's, it's scary. I, I think about it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I raise it, mate, for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, you know, petrol prices aren't exactly core to our investing and, and finance responsibilities or interests. But I, I, I raise it because I think there's something in this about – the way we think about the short and long-term stuff, right? Petrol has always been cyclical. Oil has always been cyclical. Iron ore, pick, pick your commodity. When there are times of shortage, we see, and this is you know, happening in every, well, almost every um, uh, commodity over time. You, you see temporary shortages or temporary demand spikes or temporary supply constraints. 
that are overcome in time by supply chain fixes or new supply coming on stream or whatever the th- whatever has to happen because they are they create their own incentive right at 140 dollars a barrel 100 dollars a barrel someone's going to say you know what i can produce some more oil at that price and i'd love to thank you very much um these things have a way of finding their way back to some sort of equilibrium or maybe i shouldn't say two equilibrium because they bounce around all over the place but on average they end up you know uh, above and below but on average around that equilibrium point because if you can if you can drill and get 140 dollars a barrel for oil if your cost is 20 30 40 50 60 70 dollars a barrel well you're going to drill and supply as much as you physically possibly can in the circumstances that's even assuming ukraine doesn't get resolved right mm. um and the other thing for me is the reality of and this is this is important in the way financial markets work most of what we're seeing price-wise at the pump now has zero to do with physical deliveries of oil. It's all about the futures that the shiny bum traders are flicking backwards and forwards right now based on future expectations. So that sense of we may at some point <laughs> have to you know, have, have more expensive oil delivered um, because there is a shortage. And so those people trading futures are saying, well, if you want to contract to buy my oil in May – well, I'm going to charge you a lot of money for that because I've, there's uncertainty in the market. If you really want it, you're going to have to pay up for it. And it's not just supply and demand for physical products, it's supply and demand for those futures contracts, which is on one hand, completely justifiable and reasonable because that's what financial markets do. On the other hand, completely made up and artificial. Um, but there is a direct relationship between these two. And I, I just, I, I could be completely wrong with this, mate. Abs- I'm, not, I'm not out there buying or selling oil futures, don't get me wrong. But you look at it and think, what is that, you know, is it really, really likely that all of the forces at play are fundamentally structurally balanced or is it just the old market doing the fear and greed thing? And when fear's in the ascendancy, you can sell oil futures for a very high price. What if my chills ain't goes, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, it wasn't that bad. But it's, it's like the stock market, right? COVID crash. Market falls 38%. We go, oh, my God, it's crashed. And then you fast forward and you go, oh, yeah, that's right. No, we did overreact. Yeah, that's that's true. I just, I don't know, mate, I, I'm... I, I'm I'm prone to call most uh, booms and most busts overreactions almost almost by definition, but certainly because we've been here, done that, we know what these things are like, um, and we know that's how we know that's how markets work. And I guess I, you know, I, I maybe I'm just contrarian by nature, but at the extremes, taking the counter view is almost more almost certainly more profitable than believing the, you know, the, the current circumstance will will you know we can be extrapolated well into the future that's all i just i look at the price and go no, that's a fair uh, point you know what yeah. isn't it isn't it isn't it likely we've overreacted i think again on a probabilistic basis i think it's pretty likely people have overreacted but i could be wrong i could be wrong yeah uh, so i hear all of that <laughs> yeah but i mean you know, i mean you 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 i mean i'm not going to argue with you because you're 100 right when you when you when you stand back and you look at this current period on a 30-year chart in 10 years' time. I'm sure there's, I'm sure a lot of what you're saying is true. Um, I guess what I would just say is that what's, that it can feel like a long time while you're going through it. You only have to fill the car up at $2 a litre for four or five times and that's had a real impact. Um, yes, you, 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 the, There are things that, that feed on themselves and so it has, you know, it's one thing if you're a long-term investor and your shares drop 20%, you go, oh, it's all right, I'm a long-term investor, it'll, it'll be all right eventually. Right. But when it's absolutely yep. hitting your household budget in every, yes. in every possible way and everyone else in the country, I mean, there's no one that isn't touched by this stuff. You know, you might feel a bit sorry yep. for the, the bloke on his yacht whose million-dollar portfolio has gone down 20% or not. Um, but when petrol mm. prices go up 30%, that's literally every single person in the country and the world that, that's having a direct impact of that kind of stuff. So you're right, it'll be transient, but it, it, that transientness 
could could still be a material length of time and it could have knock-on yeah. effects in, in spillover into all other. So I'm not trying to be negative for the sake of it. But no, it's, no, no, I hear, I hear, I hear. It's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I mean, I think it's a very real, I think it's a very real concern that, that, that people have. It has, it has the power to change governments, right? Because people will be yeah, angry yeah. when they go to the, to the polls. <laughs> exactly. Um, I won't exactly. say whether the, I think that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, um, <laughs> uh, what yeah. am I trying to say? Look, so I've got, I brought up a long-term chart of oil. This is West Texas yep. intermediate going back to the forties. Um, so it's been a higher, uh, a couple of times yep. Correct. Um, in, in, in the yep. lead up to the, uh, just before the, the GFC, mm-hmm. Uh, in the seventies, right. we had an oil Iraq shock. War idea, I dare say. Yes. Yep. And this is all. This is all inflation mm. adjusted as well. Yep. But if you were to try and be a, a bit mathematical and try and draw a trend line, a line of best fit mm. through all mm. of that, I think you know certainly since like the nineties, uh, it's been on average steadily rising, forty dollars a barrel mm. up to around mm. about a hundred as to where we are at, at the moment. Um, mm. And again, this is inflation adjusted, so. Mm. Uh, uh, and, and we're, we're using more of the stuff than we ever have before as well. So, I mean, it's, it's, yes, yes. It, there is, I wonder if, if, if your return to normalcy is rather than mm. just going back to where it was and sort of staying there on average over the long term, is it more returning to a upward sloping trend line? I'd have to imagine on a long enough time frame that that, that is the case because we're not making any more of the stuff, right? Well, <laughs> the world, the earth isn't making any more of the stuff. So it's getting harder and harder and more expensive to find. So, uh, and there's this whole other issue now with carbon dioxide and and stuff as well, and competing yeah. energy sources. So it's yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty bearish on on the whole lot. I wouldn't be going near. Yeah, I I agree, Matt. And I think this is I guess why I wanted to highlight it is not to say that the, as I said the impacts are real for people in the household budgets. And they can change elections. They can change governments and all that kind of stuff. It's just more a sense of. Again, you and I have been through so many cycles. The, the this time it's different or this is here to stay stuff. The number of things that are here to stay that really, really aren't here to stay is, is, is very, very long compared to the number of things that are here to stay and actually stay. Uh, and I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's tangential, but it's kind of, a, it's instructive. And I think that's, you know, I, I want I to draw our listeners' attention to the fact that while everyone's talking about the, the thing that's here right now, whether it's the COVID crash, whether it's this one, whether it was the GFC, whether you know whatever those things are that are the new thing that everyone's going to talk about, maybe they're here to stay. Maybe they're not. Um, even if you even if you don't necessarily take my line and you're entitled not to, um, at least just remember the broad lesson of if this is if this is one of those here to stay, that's fine. But most things aren't. Most things don't. Um, I should so oil's a funny one, mate. I did some numbers. I think I mentioned this before. I wrote about it um, for one of our emails and. The oil price has gone up something like two and a half times adjusted for inflation in the last century, if you can believe that. Mm. Despite the enormous, literally like million percent plus whatever the percentage is in terms of growth in annual output, like just skyrocketing annual output. Mm. Yet the price has only doubled after inflation two and a half times, whatever it was, in a century. Mm. And you kind of think, how is that even possible? Like we're literally using millions and millions of barrels a day now. And we were using thousands of barrels a day back then. And the answer is just because it became more profitable to look for and we got better at doing it. We found more of it. We harnessed economies of scale and all things that businesses do. That meant that, you know, again, if you, it's like airlines, right? If you'd said, we are going to, imagine, imagine being an oil prospector, right? And someone had said to you, by 2022, they'll be using this much oil. Firstly, you wouldn't believe them. 
Secondly, you go, because, you know, the, we don't think exponentially, and you and I have talked about this before, humans really struggle to think exponentially. So imagine someone says, we're using hundreds of barrels a day today, it's going to be millions of barrels a day in 2022. It's like, no, 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 don't be stupid. It might, might be a thousand, right? Might be a thousand. Can't be that much more. And it is. And let's say you got convinced of that. You're like, okay, I finally believe you. Okay, I'm going to mortgage the house and buy every oil well, every oil company I can find. I'm going to make an absolute fortune. And it just wasn't the case. And airlines are the same, right? Massive, massive, massive growth in air travel. And I just, it's just worth thinking about the, the differentials between where's the money made, whether those prices even do go up based on those, you know, we're talking about a, Russia's responsible for something like 16% of the world's oil and gas at current volumes and current output that frankly can be replaced tomorrow by OPEC should they choose and or will be replaced by, you know, CSG, fracking, oil sands, uh, you know, everything else. I just... It, I know you look around and think, is it really is it really likely this is the new plateau, this is the new base price, this is the new floor for the oil price? I think you're a, you'd be a brave person to do that, I think, is my view. And I, that's why I kind of look around and go, you know what? I think it's likely that this spike is a spike and spikes by definition don't plateau. <laughs> Otherwise, they're not spikes. Mm. Uh, I, I, I would put my money on on the oil price being meaningfully lower than the spike, not necessarily that today's price has already fallen back a large chunk. Um, but I But I do, you know, if we're paying more than $2 a, a litre in a month, month and a half, I'd be really, really surprised. Not a prediction, but I'd be really, really surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think under most scenarios, that's probably likely, likely except for the Black Swan yeah. X-Factor event where things yeah, just really yeah. go pear-shaped exactly. in Europe or, you know, there's there's always that. But then again, <laughs> that's always true, right? So yeah. there's, always, yeah. there's always the Black Swan phenomena. Um, I think mm-hmm. on all of that stuff that you said there, I think is actually very, very illustrative for people today investing in particular industries. Um, a couple that come mm. come to mind for me as renewable energy and um, lithium. So, so yeah. a lot of people are getting very excited about all of this stuff because they see it as the future. And I'm sure if someone was to come back from 100 years in the future, they would sort of say, oh, man, everyone's using electricity now. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I'd like to think that's the case. But I would also argue, in the, as is with the case of oil, I don't know mm, if it's going to be mm. a wonderful investment. Um, sunlight is free. Um, wind is free. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you, you will see a – and let's, again, hope that things go the way that they should, but huge investment in this space, a huge increase in the proportion of renewable energy being generated. I don't know if it's going to be necessarily wonderful economics because the truth is, is that I can always – if anyone's making half decent margin doing this stuff, I can always throw up a few panels and a few um, wind turbines and join in the party. And that will continue to happen until those margins go go way, 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 way down. Um, so I, I think I think that'd be an area of caution too. Same with electric vehicles and lithium. Are they going to be a thing in the future? I, I firmly believe with with all my uh, all my worth that that's that's absolutely going to be the case. But just as the case with oil, I think people will just dig up more and more and more and more of this stuff until the supply and demand match off, and you get a you get a price that's above, slightly above the the marginal cost of production, and and that's so I think people need to be careful of that kind of stuff. And just as an aside, as a political thing, you also mentioned scale benefits mm. uh, in mm. all of that. Um, I think I think that's something that we don't often factor into our thinking today in terms of mm. renewable mm. switch. There is just sort of like yes. people sort of yeah. do the maths and it's just like yeah, but. Try doing the maths once once we have fifty or sixty percent penetration, and just just how advantageous all of that kind of stuff is. So anyway, I hope we are going to do it that way. 
Um, I think it's got huge benefits for mankind and, and everything else. But at the same time, as with oil, I don't know if it's going to be a wonderful investment in most for the most part. I completely agree. I completely agree. Let's move on, mate. Um, it's <laughs> it's been an interesting couple of years uh, in the world economy on the world stock market. And you mentioned to me this morning uh, a set of stats. And these stats lead in very, very different directions. And that's not unusual. Things just move in different directions. But in this case, you mentioned to me two things, share prices and GDP. Now, if you're someone who likes to believe in correlations, you say, well, GDP going up should be good for share prices. Share prices going up should be good for GDP or some version of something which says we're making more stuff, we're getting richer, that should be good for the companies that are on the stock exchanges. Up go the share prices, up goes GDP. It's all, it's all good. And we've talked about correlations between political parties and GDP and GDP and stock markets and all that kind of stuff before. This was staggering to me. I, I, like, I would say unbelievable because I believe you. Uh, but if you'd asked me the probability of this being true, I would have been shocked. Maybe you can share those two competing, in this case, stats, uh, with our with our listeners, and we might talk about the implications. So let me give you some figures here. Um, so since 1992, the MSCI China Gross Index performance, so excluding fees and everything like that, taxes, it's about flat, about 1.5% return per year. Over that same time, we've had GDP go up like a hockey stick. That is, is um, yeah, <laughs> that's remarkable. So, so... That's really strange. And and mm. so uh, let me step back a bit. So generally speaking, if you take all the Western economies, developed economies, you, you'll see a very strong correlation, generally speaking, between mm. the market and, and GDP. Um, yep. There'll be perturbations, but generally speaking, it's a trend that holds really strongly over time. For, a, for an economy mm-hmm. to go to $1 trillion to $16 trillion or whatever it happens to be, uh, over a space of 30 years and for the associated market to essentially inflation adjusted give you a, a, a negative return is really mind-bending. So what do you think? <laughs> What's going on? It, I, so, so here's the thing. I, I, I know well enough to know that we shouldn't expect a correlation between those two. So I am probably less surprised than many would be uh, by that, that, that number. Um, I'm, I, I'll, I will. I will take a theoretical-ish uh, answer and then get you to comment on that, and maybe maybe put me put me right. Um, it makes so. So here's the thing: the economy is not the stock market; never has been, right? And more importantly than that, to some degree, the stock market is not the economy right now. And I've said this before, and I'm going to hark back to the COVID crash and hark back to something that was said by Jeremy Siegel, the Wharton professor on business television in the states, that. If every company during the COVID crash had zero profits for a whole year and then went back to normal, the market should have fallen 10% in his view. When it falls 38%, that's about as close to Armageddon as you get without everything going to zero. You know, losing almost half the value, it's just over a third, I don't want to over-dramatise it, but, you know, that, that would have been enough for no profits for four years and then everything going back to normal. And the probability of that was really, really low. Was it possible? Yes. But if you're investing, your, your job is to assess and assign probabilities and it was remarkably uh, pessimistic of the market to assume in, to infer by the share price movement that that was going to happen could it happen of course 
was likely to happen. I didn't think so at the time. I kept investing. I told people to keep investing or at least keep holding. But it was possible, absolutely. And so our job is to say probabilistically, is this a good bet? I think it was a good bet. But also, but the point of that is that the long-term profitability of those businesses should be more than just the current economy. So in other words, when the market, when the, when, even when we're in recession, right, we will get out of recession. Those companies have gone to do bigger and better things. Uh, God knows how many recessions Solpats, I own shares in Solpats, uh, has been through in its 100 plus years as a listed company, right? And they got to this point. Uh, Harvey Norman, Woolworths, uh, I own Harvey Norman shares actually as well. JB Hi-Fi. Uh, you know, the, these businesses have been through and, and thrived at least after, sometimes during, at least after these sort of recessions. And so the stock market GDP is not a very useful uh, correlation. Second is the stock market isn't the economy in terms of the stock market isn't even every company in a given economy, right? It's, it's a subset. Um, mm-hmm. All the, there's more than, I think there's more than a million small businesses in Australia. Does that sound about right? Can't, yeah. Maybe not quite that yeah. many. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, they're not listed on the ASX, right? Strawman's not listed on the ASX. The Motley Fool is a private company not listed on the ASX. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we make a lot of money or no money, it doesn't impact the ASX. And if we make a lot of money or no money because of GDP being up or down, it doesn't impact it. Some of the biggest companies, uh, Visi Group, the packaging group, not a listed company. Um, Gina Reinhardt's business, not a listed company. And so, you know, it, pro, uh, Hancock Prospecting is probably worth, I don't know, 500,000 small businesses. And so mm. you're seeing that, you know, uh, the, the result of one business, way out, out, out doing the others. So you've got to think about the proportion of the market or the economy, sorry, that's made up by those listed companies. All of that said, all of that said, it is a – sorry, actually, last, one last thing before I go to the all that said. Last thing is price because you're relying on the market to be able to reasonably assess the value of those listed businesses. So you kind of got – you know, it's Russian doll type stuff. Maybe I can't call them – what, what, what do we call things now? We can't call them Russian dolls. Uh, something, something else, East Asian dolls. Freedom dolls. Um, sorry, mate? Freedom <laughs> Freedom dolls. Freedom dolls. You coined that <laughs> phrase. There we go. Freedom dolls. It's like it's like nested freedom dolls. Um, you know. So so the reality is, even if all of those things were, were correlated, but the market simply said, "Well, I'm going to pay a million times earnings in '92, and then one times earnings today," all of that other stuff can be 100 percent correlated, and still you have massive difference between the price of shares, not necessarily the value, but the price, mm. and the economy itself. So. There are so many, and this goes to my very original point, which is expecting there to be a straight one-to-one correlation between GDP and the stock market is weird. All of that said, all of that said, that hockey stick, what's China been growing at? Six, seven percent a year over that 30 years, probably maybe even maybe yeah. later. If I wait, yeah. the average is probably 8% growth. Uh, yeah. What's 8% compound over 30 years? It's got to be, what's the economy, a 5x, 6x, something huge. Massive. Um, Unprecedented in history, and yet the share market's worth. I, I was I was blown away when you told me about it to the point of almost not believing you. But it, it mm. is. It, I do believe you. And it's, it's a remarkable, remarkable set of circumstances. As to what it means, I don't have a clear like like, like me asking you about petrol. I have no clear. So what on this one? I have to say, mm. I have no clear sense of how much I. Does it mean China's shares are cheap right now because GDP has gone up so much and where there's this hidden value there? Maybe. Is the price just because people are scared of the geopolitics and in which case either it's justified or maybe there's an investing opportunity? <clears throat> were prices mm. just stupidly high 30 years ago because this whole tiger economy, you know, going to the moon, China's the future thing happens? Um, it reminds me, by the way, not to buy the story. We'll talk about lessons from share prices, but man, if you'd been investing in China 30 years ago, on the basis of the GDP growth that actually happened, a bit like the oil conversation we had. Um, you know, if, if you're in a coma for 30 years, you woke up and someone said, guess what? The economy is now eight times larger or whatever the number ends up being. Mm. Oh, fantastic. I wonder how much money I've made. Oh, oh, nothing. Okay. 
well, that sucks. Right idea, right theme, right prediction. The value accretion just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, a reminder too, by the way, that share markets aren't rational, right? And sometimes you have to, I was going to say, have to wait long term. It's been 30 years. Um, but just, just you know, the price you pay matters. The, the circumstances you're investing in matter. Uh, the cash flow matters. Uh, so there's all that stuff. I don't, I don't know, mate. I, I, I'm asking more questions than I'm answering. I, I can't easily square that circle. I, have, I, I will say a couple of things. Firstly, I would suspect there's a decent amount of fear right now in China's share prices. Now, maybe that fear is justified, by the way, because maybe China ends up being a you know, closed economy and you never get your money out and all that kind of stuff. But I have a sense that the decline in, in the Chinese stock market is down 30% over the last 12 months, I think, from memory. Mm. Um, oh. I, I can't imagine oh. that's because Chinese companies are suddenly 30% less profitable. So there's, there's a sentiment change there. And I dare say that might make shares inexpensive relative to where they were. Maybe they're still too expensive, by the way, but I, I dare say that's probably true. Mm. I... I have exposure to China through an Asia Asian Tigers ETF. It's a very small position. I'm down on that, not surprisingly, given China's decline over the last 12 months. Um, so I have a little bit of exposure. I wouldn't buy Chinese shares directly personally. I don't no think way. that with all the returns and risks you've got on offer, do I want to take the risk that the Chinese government will uh, effectively nationalise or, or make it hard for me to get value from those assets over at, at some point in time with the stroke of a pen, a la Russia or something else? I really don't. And it's not, you know, China's not the bogeyman, right? I, I think... I think we are too. Uh, I think we are too quick to judge China and to criticise China in a way that we don't criticise other countries. And I think there's some xenophobia there, and probably some some fear and a bit of a bit of uh, I don't want to say racism, but let me just say there's something going on there, which makes us too quick to criticise them for things we wouldn't criticise others for, particularly our, our friends, air quotes, friends, allies, potentially. Um, uh, you know, we, we criticise China's playing in, in the Pacific or in Africa, for example. We know the Yanks have been involved in South America doing similar things for many, many years. Um, we take a very different view on how quickly we judge those countries very differently. So all of that, I think, is probably part of it. But but uh, the when you've got two choices, do I put money in China or do I put money in an Australian or an American company that I know that I can trust the government is less likely, not not impossible, less likely to be uh, anti-business or anti-foreigner or anti-whatever or just simply pro, you know, the, the one one party state government. Uh, I am not uh, I'm not in a hurry to put more money, any money directly in that, and certainly more money indirectly through that ETF or elsewhere in China right now. But mm. I I have to say, mate, part of me is thinking, geez, a thirty percent fall, maybe shares were over, were expensive. And way overpriced a year ago, but if they weren't, I I don't know that we don't look back and go, gee, it was cheap in March 2022. Mm. I, I wouldn't. A- not, not for me. Um, so I so oh man, you said a lot there. Um, I did. Sorry, mate. No, no, no. It's good, it's good points. So, so where to start? So so firstly, um, you're right. The economy isn't the stock market. But there, there is a bit of a. It is the environment in which the, the stocks, the companies on the market do operate. So there, there is, there is a yes. relationship there. It is. So yep. it is, it is a very. Um, while, while one isn't the other, it is a massive disconnect not to see them following one another more closely. My sense of the matter is, is that this is just a very big highlight. People, international investors, should really pay attention to this to, to the idea of sovereign risk and just operating within different economic systems. China, so I'm very mindful of what you just said about how, how we often try to paint China, but I'll try and be, <laughs> be as objective as I can. In my view, it's, it's where Western capital has gone to die. You think of every Aussie company <laughs> that's gone, hey, we're moving into China. China's a, you know, one massive billion dollar, per, a billion person market, you know, <laughs> we just 
get 1%, we're going to make a fortune. And like virtually every single Aussie listed company that's moved into China has come back with its tail between its legs. Yeah, Do they have a yeah. bad product? Do, you know what? What? No, it's a different system. You know, there's a lot of, oh, I've got to be careful how I word this, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's it's um, it's not all by the book and by the letter there. Um, okay, except got- that Tesla's made a uh, put a factory there. KFC's biggest market is there. GM, I think, sells more cars in China than the US. Uh, there are some there are some counterpoints, are there not? Oh, that, uh, ab- absolutely. But I, I reckon if you put them all on a you drew a line down a piece of paper and put what's worked <laughs> out versus what hasn't, I would. And, yeah. and the only ones that have worked out is where. The, the, China really hasn't had much alternative there. Mm. So there's a lot of there's a lot of IP theft. You've got a lot of um, direction from the central bureaucracy on what That's needs to happen. True. So so normally yep. when a company makes a decision, BHP will look at something and go, "What's our return on investment on this?" They'll make mm-hmm. these very. They might be wrong, but they'll be the basis of it will be a very rational economic decision. Mm-hmm. They might make decisions over there that have nothing to do with business. Um, common sense, but, yeah, but more to do yeah. with the, the Chinese Communist Party wants this to happen, and it's going to damn well happen. Mm-hmm. And so you've had you've had this period where the economy itself is boom, but there's been, and I would even say a lot of outright theft and corruption and stealing, mm-hmm. and poor investment mm-hmm. decisions, fast and loose um, uh, <laughs> loans. You know, it's just it's yeah. all it's a wild west. And and I, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying. I'm I'm very mindful of what you said in terms of how yeah, yeah. Westerns look at that, but I think. Think you can objectively make a lot of these claims there. Yes. So, so when you sort of say, "Oh, look, stocks are down thirty percent. Is it cheap? Not cheap enough for me." Um, <laughs> like, things can change really, really rapidly there. Yeah. And I think, and this is this you were talking about before about comments that will come back to bite bite you. Here's one: <laughs> um, Charlie Munger, I think, has made a massive mistake. Oh, he, he's so almost, massively almost wrong by the. Oh, you've almost been wrong by definition there, mate. Right, the very second, I, I, my, my general rule is when I disagree with Warren Buffett, I'm almost certainly wrong. That's, that's my starting point. I would dare say the same is true of Charlie. I know, I know. But, <laughs> and yet, so for better or worse, he's been so bullish on China. He's still China. going there. He's, still he's going been there. so bullish on China. Yeah. And yeah. what's his biggest position there? Baba, um, Alibaba. Uh, he's, just, he's just been taken to the cleaners. He's just been wiped yeah. out. Because yeah. what he is doing, my, to my view, very rationally, he's been doing what he's been doing his whole life. He's looking at these wonderfully competitively advantaged businesses mm-hmm. in a huge market with huge growth opportunity, massive competitive advantages, all of this kind of stuff. And he's gone, this is brilliant. But what he's overlooked to my mind is the nature of the system that these all operate in and that these yeah. there, there, are, there, are, there are politic, it's where political motives will trump economic motives any day of the week. Yeah. That's and right. I, I think- I think I think he's got it wrong there. So yeah, I I I, I wish China well, <laughs> but I don't know. If, and I'm not just about. There's a lot of places around the world where I wouldn't invest because we don't have the, the kind of protections that we enjoy here in Australia. We all take that's it for granted. Yeah, we all take it for. We have grown up with it. We just sort of see that's how it is. That I can do this, and then I should guarantee to expect this outcome. A lot of parts of the world, maybe even majority parts of the world, if you look at it on a per capita base, it's not like that. And mm. we we in the West forget that kind of stuff, how the government can just come and take stuff away from you. Um, and 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 that sovereign risk for me is there's a spectrum there, but when it comes to an economy and businesses in China, mm. I think it's way up that end. And it's just despite the appeal of what's happening there, I just <laughs> I just can't take that risk. No, I actually think you're right, Matt. My, my criticism isn't about investors necessarily. It's actually more about the kind of 
the, the preconceptions we bring to thinking about China versus other countries, right? And I use the I use the US China example deliberately. Um, I'm not saying China is as, US is bad as China, and I don't want there'll be people who are jumping up and down the podcast machine right now and coolie jets people. Um, uh, you know, I'd rather have an America as an ally than China. We, we've certainly got a longer history with them. They've certainly got things that China doesn't have. I'm not equivalizing. I can't really say that. I'm not making them equivalent. Uh, what, I, what I'm simply doing is saying that some of the things that we roundly condemn China for, we kind of accept or turn a blind eye to or, or put up with from America because, well, it's America and we kind of have these preconceptions about both, right? We think, well, America, okay, America's not great, but at least they're da-da-da. We say, well, China might be okay, but they do all these horrible things. And I think there is some, some element of instinctive... Uh, inbuilt, historical, whatever, uh, free passes we give some countries and uh, an overly harsh trip we, we, we deal out to others. But for all that said, so for me, it's like chess sponsorship, right? We, we've talked about this before. I, there are, you, can, you can trade on the ASX and the US markets. Well, you only trade on US markets. Let's go to the ASX. You can trade more cheaply with a broker who doesn't offer you chess sponsorship because that costs money. And they will say, we're going to give you cheap brokerage. Yeah, you're not chess sponsored, but that's probably not a problem. And it's probably not. For me, uh, and this is a parallel to your China point, for me, I'm like, you know what? The chance of chess being a problem, uh, of, oh, sorry, a chance of a non-chess-sponsored broker becoming a problem, pretty low. Do I choose to take that risk? No, I'll happily pay for that extra insurance. And so for me, it's like that with China. It's like, do I want to invest money in China or do I want to invest it here? What return would I need in China to take those extra risks you just beautifully highlighted versus saying, you know what? Maybe company XYZ in China is going to do really, really well. But I can find some business in Australia that I'm really, really happy with and I'm pretty happy to take those because they don't come with those extra risks. And as I said, it's all about probabilities and risk and reward. That the, the chance of the less investor-friendly, foreigner-friendly system bringing me a negative outcome is just too high for me to accept. And I'm happy to say, I don't think I'm necessarily going to make a lower return in Australia, but if I do, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with missing higher potential total return in China because the counterfactual risk that may never happen is something bad. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the chance that my... Excuse me, investment goes to zero or is meaningfully impacted by a, a, a unilateral decision of the Chinese government. It's just something I don't want to happen. Now, by the way, Australia could do the same thing. Australia could nationalise industries tomorrow if it chose to. Um, and, you know, it would be frowned on by a lot of us, but they, it could be done. The chance is just lower. And so, again, in, in terms of managing those risks and potential rewards, I think there's enough reward available on the Australian market, the US market, where those investor protections that you highlight, mate, the rule of law, the tradition of business friendly or at least uh, business respecting governments is just higher. I don't, think, I don't think there's any need to invest in China. Are you foregoing a game? Possibly. Do I want to take that risk? I really don't. Yeah. I, I also think too, I just I just lack any edge. I mean, what do I know That's about true. the situation yeah. in China? I mean, I can yeah. read as much as I like, but I'm just the person who lives there and has lived there their whole life is just so advantaged. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I, I feel as though one day will come <laughs> where I've got ten billion dollars to invest because I'm the world's yeah. greatest investor. <laughs> so tomorrow, and when all your schoolman, and when that happens, okay, I might need to look further afield to find a home for my capital. I am so ridiculously yeah. far from that point that there is <laughs> more than enough opportunity for here locally for the for the market to soak up my meager amount of capital. That I just I want I want to stay in an area where I'm advantaged. I've got I've got the local yeah. home field advantage. I'm operating in a system that I understand, one that I feel has got a lot more trust, you know. And as I've said to you before, I, tell, I the other places I think I just go, go ETF, it's just nice and easy, but yes, I've only exactly. got so much time and and I want to spend my time in in, in the, the richest 
uh, fishing spot <laughs> that I that I, like I possibly it. can that I possibly can find. And yeah, I I think a lot of people would have got burnt from China. And again, same kind mm-hmm. of thinking. China's exploding. It will oh, continue yeah, yeah. to grow. It will be the world's yep. economic superpower very soon. Uh, all of these things are true, and yet people have just been taken to the cleaners by investing there. So you, you, it's you've remarkable. Got it. If the, you're the thesis right, just to share, it didn't go the way you. With all everything you said, this is why I will do well. All yeah. those you got all those right. It just was. Yeah. It was in the end. It, the thesis was 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 wrong because you then the bit that went after that, which was and then Chinese companies will do well because of it. That's how you need to get wrong. The Chinese yeah. economy will do X. The Chinese consumer will do Y. It will industrialize. It will grow. It will, you know, all these things you thought were true. Um, it's interesting to imagine. So let me let me um, throw something quickly at you, and we'll move on. But a quick tangent from that, though, though investing related. Uh, I'm tempted to say picks and shovels, right? Because we talk about you know the, the old the old. It's really hackneyed. We do it a lot, but it's it's useful. The the story goes. I'm not even sure it's 100 proven, but let's assume it is. The story goes that during the gold rush. The people who got rich weren't the people mining gold. They were the people selling the picks and shovels. Well, that, and so that, the idea of kind of gone. That's the that's the Levi jeans story, origin yeah, story. Exactly. That's right. That's right. A Levi, Levi, a, a German immigrant. He made uh, um, pants out of this strong denim material. I think they were using it for tents or something. Made a fortune. Right. Didn't didn't ever dig up a one <laughs> one chunk of gold. Because so, all the miners needed very strong, hardy workwear. Sorry. But, yeah, same thing. I, ha- I have a shovels. pair of 501s on as we speak, mate. I have there you go. So it's, Classic. It's, it's continued till today. Um, I've got, I was going to tangent. I'm not going to. I'm going to, I'm going to for tangent once in on my tangent. life, I'm going to. Uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to do it. Um, so picks and shovels. Uh, is... Uh, I, I'm thinking about supply in the Chinese economy. I, and I can't help but think about iron ore and think... You know, for all of the stuff that we know, if you could, you know, what share prices themselves aren't correlated to GDP, but with an, with an economy like China's, with a, in a country like China's, if you can effectively grow almost proportionally with GDP, i.e., they build them more stuff to make more stuff to grow and become a bigger economy, if you could have a if you could have a a ticket to the almost per you know not per capita per dollar per whatever. Um, Growth of the Chinese economy—that's one way of at least one for one lining it up. Does it make iron ore at least an interesting proxy and a, and a less risky proxy, given it's in a different country? Given you're not relying on share prices per se in China, you're simply relying on the fact that you know, I think the Chinese economy is going to keep growing. That thesis of 30 years ago, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, it, hindsight's always 2020. But had you bought BHP shares or Fortescue or Rio, I should disclose I own Fortescue shares. Um, 30 years ago, I don't know what the share price have done since, but it does make me wonder whether there are ways to expose yourself to Chinese success in a much lower risk way and almost not exactly a one-for-one way, but a, but a more linear exposure to Chinese growth than trying to bet on share prices. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's oh, look, let, let's be very real here for a second. Uh, our prosperity in Australia has very much yes. been a result oh. of China. We are the proxy. The polis, they will never admit it, but it's absolutely true. Take China away, if it hadn't existed or hadn't done what it had done over the last 30 years, Australia is a very, 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 very different place. Yeah. Because um, <clears throat> we've just got really, we've got lots and lots of rocks that they want and they're pretty good rocks. <laughs> we're not too far away either, <laughs> you know. Um, good rocks, I love it. They're really good rocks, you know, a lot, lot of those impurities yeah. and stuff in it. So, we, you know, but, but Australia's just been dumb luck there you know that we this, uh-huh. this lucky country idea is is that it's it's actually a criticism in the way it was first coined you know, just, just I know isn't that great I love stumbling that. from one 
bit of good fortune to the other. There's no, there's no yeah, grand yeah. plan here. So we are, we are ridiculously lucky. So yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I'm very much of the view that what we do really badly is that we we don't value add. So we dig up mm. um, iron ore and we send it over to China and they turn it into much higher value steel. <laughs> and they can because they can do it so much cheaper. Um, but isn't that the point, mate? Like, so I'm, let's let's keep let's keep having the fun for the hell of it. Um, I hear the criticism. I don't necessarily accept the criticism for exactly that reason, mate. We don't have the scale, the population, the labour force, and most importantly, we're not prepared to pay people a tenth of what they are currently getting now, nor should we. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't isn't that just comparative advantage? Isn't that economics one hundred and one? Isn't that globalisation by definition? We can get well, them out of the ground cheaply. You can put them. You can turn them into other things that cheaper than we can. Yeah, and so we actually benefit from buying them back from you. If we did it ourselves and then, you know, if we, if we, back to the car thing, if we made our own cars, we tried to for 50 years, uh, we could buy lower quality, more expensive cars <coughs> with our iron ore. Or we could send to you guys, you could send us back cheaper cars. We actually win both times. We get to sell iron ore for a, for a Mozza and then we get cheaper, better cars out of, out of, the, out of the deal. I, I don't know. I, I don't. Yes. I mean, this is yeah, going right. to policy pretty quickly, but I, I'm, I get the national kind of, you know, nationalism view or the whatever view of saying we should try and do things ourselves. And I kind of get no, it. Where it makes sense, I, I, I don't. This is I one I'm just like. To that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I don't subscribe to. I don't. I think just, just just for some jingoistic national pride reason that we should. That's stupid. You know, I'm saying I'm saying where there's economic sense to do it. And the big oh, the sure, big sure, comparative sure. advantage that China has is 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 labor costs, which is nothing. Yeah. Yep. They don't, they don't pay people very well. We, we and pay it's the people. cost you want them to have, or you what you don't mind giving up. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to take back the labour cost advantage by by screwing my fellow Australians down to work for a dollar fifty an hour. Like if that's if that's the reality, prosperity wise as a country, if I if I'm in charge of Australia Inc, if I'm Prime Minister for that, I'm like we can make more stuff here and pay people less, or we can let them do the yeah. work and we can get paid more. Like it's it's a no brainer for me. Well, there is, look, there is one part of that is just are we, are we enablers? You know, it's the same with the fashion industry. What are we what are we doing? You know, so anyway, there's a whole other topic that's there. But you're right. <laughs> I, I think I think I think I think that's very true. You know, is also a, a huge manufacturing powerhouse, uh, Germany. On. Yes, that's true. Actually, now how did Germany do it? Germans are first. Germany's a first world country. Very high standard of living. Mm-hmm. Very well paid. Mm-hmm. Be, probably better paid per hour on award basis than here in Australia. How do they do yeah. it? Automation, massive investment. So yeah. we have the capacity. It just takes long-term vision and a huge amount of capital to build it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned before to you, it might have been off air or even on the pod, Saul Griffiths making this case that we, our comparative advantage is that we've got these massive deserts full of baking yeah, 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 sun. Exactly, exactly. We could churn out electricity for virtually free once the infrastructure's in place. We can mm-hmm. make green steel. We can make green aluminium. We could, and China couldn't come close to competing with it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know there is there are there are there are some real long term visionary nation building kind of stuff that I feel as though we could, we've done very well out of this whole relationship. Yeah. Just to come back yeah. to the original point, I don't think there was a at the early stages of that there was anything that you would do anything else you would do. That was the smart, yeah. my money's right there. Dig it up, send it over. We'll pay you, we'll pay you well for it. <laughs> That's right. Great. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but Australia's just really bad and dumb at that kind of stuff. Mm. And on the things that we mm. do have wonderful comparative advantage on, we don't prosecute it particularly well. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't feel, uh, you've made that point before. It's just like there, no one can compete with us on the Great Barrier Reef. No one. Oh, mate. Impossible. It's if I have impossible. To one thing. Uh, can 
between, I think your point, actually, your point is a really good one. I've never, I've never included this as the third. I've now got a third, which is space and sunshine. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. By the way, Kenneth Brooks and Twiggy are doing a $30 billion project to sell solar panel to solar power to Singapore. Yeah, and we're still bloody anyway. That's a whole. Oh, but this is, isn't this insane here. that we're relying on we're relying on entrepreneurs <laughs> and billionaires to do this? Like, what the hell has oh. happened to us as a country where oh, you know our leaders should be making this decision? Not just the good oh, nature and, and vision of, of billionaires. It's crazy. Oh, I don't know, mate. This gets this is ideological pretty quickly. I'm glad that if the, if the business case is there, the billionaires should be doing it, right? Like. Do, do, do you want venture capitalists inside the government putting money into work? Yeah, but they're doing it. They're, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But they're doing it fighting government. Government should be saying, <laughs> government, you were right. Government should be saying, hey, this is something for the private sector. Yeah. We're going to make yeah. it super yeah. easy for you. Yeah, we're going to yeah, cut yeah, the red yeah. tape. We're going to give you rebates. We're going to give you subsidies. We're going to make, we're going to clear the road. We're going to clear the path for you. Not yeah. we're going to stop you every set of the way, and then it's like in the bloody brochure that they handed up. The big part of the bullet points there was was private enterprise will do the heavy lifting. Private enterprise yeah, rocks so, up and says, so. "Hey, we're here to help." And they, oh, no thanks." Yeah. You know, <laughs> insane, insane. Forget again. I'm just speaking purely economically here as well. Yeah, agree. Uh, and, and just and just to finish and just to finish that point, you know, with 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 the, the, the Great Barrier Reef, the one thing yes. that we, just is ours, and no one can take it. We don't, we don't look after. And again, I, I always feel like I verge into this sort of greeny territory here and I am a yeah. greeny at heart, so I'm happy to, to acknowledge that. But, but I'm, 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 my point is I'm making these arguments from a pure hard-nosed fiscal, financial, totally. economic yep. kind of standpoint. And totally. Yeah, and it's just really frustrating. Mate, no, I, think, I think this – so <laughs> we are way off tangent, but it's fun anyway. I – I'm – I'm a fan of governments allowing businesses to do what they need to do, right? The only thing I would say, I'm not, I'm no current fan of the current government. I've certainly taken pot shots at them as well as the opposition, by the way, right? So I'm an equal opportunity critic. Um, but for all of the, for all of the grief I give them on almost everything else, including the, the stubborn defence of coal and the ridiculous nature of that, which is something people can complain about via the text uh, or Twitter or something. Um, I I take your point about the idea of like let's give them. Let's cut the red tape. Let's give them some subsidies or whatever, right? Except that Canterbrooks and Twiggy are doing this without any of that stuff because they don't need to and we shouldn't be funding them for the sake of it. Right? The tax dollars should be reasonably sacrosanct. I'm really happy that we didn't give them anything to, to do this because they're going to make a fortune out of it. They're going to pay 30% company tax as long as the government closes the multinational tax loopholes. And that's kind of what's supposed to happen, right? The, the, the circumstances are already in place to do exactly what they're doing. They've done exactly what they're doing for that reason. We should not be making it harder for them. But I think policy-wise, like we're probably roughly right. If the circumstances exist to allow them to make a lot of money doing exactly this without needing the government say, "Here, here's more money. Take more, take more of our money. Take more taxpayer money," and you know you don't really need to go and do something you're going to do anyway. I mean, that's that's again, I, I doubt it's a government level, as in an executive government level decision here. But if the tax system, if the industrial relations system, if the business support system mean that this, as it exists, this is happening, has happened, I reckon this means we've got it pretty right. I've got to say, for all of the other stuff they screw up, this one's like, hey, they're not, they're not getting any handouts. They're still going to make a lot of money for them and they're going to pay a lot of tax. That's perfect. I'm not going to give them more, more taxpayer Dude. money to do what they're going to do anyway. Oh, God. Are you serious? I mean, yeah, look, 
they're doing it because they can and the situation is right, right now. Is is the, is, the, is the government getting out, is the government doing what it can to help support without having to necessarily throw all of our tax money dollars at billion? I'm but not, why should not it? They don't, they don't need that support. There's, I'm there's not suggest- nothing to be gained from, from the If they have subsidies now, Canterbrooks and Twiggy do exactly what they're already going to do and they just get more tax money for doing it. Like this is exactly where an efficient government should be saying, I'm not giving you any money. You guys are going to make money doing it anyway. Why would I throw money at you to Yeah, but they're, they're it doing it. It's, 20, it's 2022 and they're only now, and these are, the, these, are the peop, these are the pioneers that are just starting to make moves on this because the economics are just getting to the point where that is that yeah, yeah, sure. can, can yeah. hold water. Yeah. What yeah. about 2012? <laughs> you know, we, man, we would have been what, what a massive comparative advantage we could have built for ourselves and security. Mm. I mean, we, we'd be driving at two cents a kilometre right now if we laid, <laughs> laid the rails earlier on when when that when that price, scenario yeah. wasn't there. You yeah. know, so it's sort of I, I I can't with a straight face say that the government is is being prudent on this in any way, shape, or okay. form. And and maybe maybe they they could be doing well. They could, I'm sure they could be doing worse, but they should they could be doing a hell of a lot better. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, lot. With, I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not a free marketeer. Uh, I've I've said lots of times that governments absolutely have a massively important role to make sure we have a well-regulated, well-supported system that looks after the interests of those for whom the market doesn't serve particularly well. So I'm a massive fan of government involvement. Um, I think I, I would I would simply just put government efforts and frankly taxpayer money in the places where the market isn't working. So I, while we're on solo, we might as well annoy some more of our coal-loving listeners. Um, you know, I think I think we should be putting EV charging infrastructure in, for example, because that's not something that the government, that the private sector can currently make work in a way that allows it to be adopted at speed. So things like that are exactly where government should be spending. If there is a, a business case for other things, it's like, great, we'll stay out of that. We'll actually collect tax revenue rather than give you tax subsidies. Yeah. We'll get out of that stuff. We should be getting out, we should have got out of car manufacturing support decades earlier because um, it was never going to be viable, right? It was always propped up for electoral reasons. Get out of the stuff that makes no sense put money into those things where it does allow for the construction or support of industries that otherwise simply wouldn't have that scale. Like the solar panel subs is a great idea, right? Fantastic idea. Because it put panels on roofs and allowed economies of scale to be We're created. the world-leading adopters of rooftop solar because like, of policies that yeah. were put yeah, in Yeah, that's right. I agree. Yep, yep. absolutely, absolutely. But where the, where the business case is, stands alone, it's like, well, how much taxpayer money do you want to spend slash waste on stuff that's commercially viable anyway. I, I'd be Yeah, but I'd be I'm not saying that. I'm not I'm not other things. I agree. 100% agree. I, but I'm not saying that though. I'm not saying we should throw a bunch of money at stuff that's otherwise perfectly viable. Do you know what I'm saying? I think I think you're twisting it a little bit there. So I I oh, sorry, I'll, not, not not deliberately, sorry. Yeah. So I don't I yes, I I wait, you're right. That that is absolutely the case, but there's there's just a lot of examples where I I don't even know how we got on. We started talking about oil originally. <laughs> I'm not now, sure either. Now we're on green policy. GDP but, and let, let's move on. Yeah, it, look, it, it's just it's look. It, I, I I think st- we'll stand back from from all of this kind of stuff. And and the yep. point is, is that as a country, like a company, you know, there, there are certain advantages that we have, and yep. we should be prosecuting them to the best of our abilities. If we were a company, yes. it's like where's our competitive strengths? Are they here? Yeah. Well, let's not compete over here where we can't really differentiate ourselves. Let's compete over here where we can. And let's make decisions that let's. We always laugh at the company that makes the makes investment decisions a quarter out because they want to try and meet numbers <laughs> yeah, and how ridiculous right. that is. <laughs> and all the great companies that yeah. have been long term visionary thinkers that have laid a yep. lot of money yep. down for investment purposes. Like we we, we should be doing that. <laughs> we should absolutely yeah. be doing that. And and uh, I I I don't think we are. <laughs> and at any rate, whatever whatever our our faults and foibles may be. 
We're a very safe, reliable place to do business and investment, mm-hmm. and China isn't. <laughs> and and uh, I'd just be very careful for anyone investing directly over there. You brought us back on track beautifully, mate. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I had no idea how we got here. Uh, fun conversation, though. Thank you. And my, my apologies if I had put words in your mouth. I didn't, I didn't intend to do that. No, I know you were. I just want to be clever. Thank you, mate. Let's move on to something much, much, much more interesting, much more profitable and much bigger. Um, there are people out there, mate, who will say, I'm not going to buy Commonwealth Bank shares. They're already too expensive. Or CSL shares. And I'm going to quickly do the, the, uh, the old real-time research here. Uh, as I speak, as I literally as I speak, CSL share price, $263.77. How much higher can they possibly go than $263.70? Shouldn't I buy a $20 stock or a $2 stock or a $0.20 cent stock because there's just so much more upside. Isn't, isn't that right? No, it's completely not. Um, but, I mean, how much, how, much, how much higher can a share price go than $263? I mean, like what? It, well, it could probably, it could, I reckon it could probably get to four or $500,000 US. We are very, very good at this, Andrew, because here's what I prepared earlier. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, exactly where I'm going with this. Here's what I prepared earlier, mate, because it just occurs to me. Uh, I am I am a shareholder in a little investment company run by a, a relatively well-off kind of bloke in the US called Warren Buffett. The business, of course, is Berkshire Hathaway. The shares overnight, Tuesday night, I, I, I would have rather wait for a, a higher round number, but we haven't quite got there and I can't, I can't move on from this one. Uh, so there's two classes of Berkshire Hathaway shares. The Class A shares, the very, very original ones that were listed on the stock market when Warren Buffett bought the business, or, or sorry, took majority ownership of the business and then and ran the business from 1965, are now worth, get your pencils and paper out, $498,160. Hmm. That's US, 500000 US dollars. And just for the fun of it, I'll do a quick maths at, oh, let's assume a 72 cent exchange rate. That is 694,000 Australian dollars, which is, I'm going to again do some, some I have my real-time research here, divided by $263.77, which is CSL share price, it's exactly 2,000 times the price wow. of one CSL share. And at one point, at one point, the Berkshire Hathaway share price was less than the CSL share price. Yeah. Sorry, a little yeah. bit of theatre, which I thank you for indulging me in, Andrew. Um, it's just a really, really good reminder that, you know, how, how much higher can share prices go? A lot higher. The Berkshire Hathaway share price, right, up 30% over the last 12 months. That means 12 months ago, $382,000 was the share price. It's now $498,000 when the answer was how much higher can they go? Oh, sorry, the question. The answer was one hundred sixteen. Thousand dollars higher in a year. Mm. It's uh, look. I have. I, I. I'm happy to celebrate Warren Buffett's success. I'm happy to celebrate Berkshire's success. Yes, I'm a shareholder. Yes, I'm incredibly biased. Uh, but I'm a. I'm a shareholder because of what Buffett's done and is doing at Berkshire, despite his advancing age. We've said before, by the way, about China. He's not responsible for the share price, right? So he's not doing cartwheels because the price is up. He's certainly not claiming credit because the price is up. The market dictates the share price of the company. Uh, but it's just, it's just uh, too, it was too much to walk past, mate, to, to not mm. say, uh, by the way, uh, 1st of June 1990, $7,000 a share. So at $7,000 a share, someone was saying, $7,000, that's it. I just can't, how much more can it go from seven grand? The answer was another $491,000. <laughs> these, oh, wow. these aren't small numbers, right? It's, it's, so the, yeah. look, I'm, I'm laboring the point. 
but it's really, really, really important to remember what we talk about the pizza and the size of the pieces and all that kind of stuff and share splits and whatever. Share prices have no arbitrary limit. No number is too high. No number is too low. Low numbers aren't necessarily better than high numbers. Um, I, I'm sure I could find a business now that was listed at you know 20 cents a year ago that's now listed at 18 cents or 19 cents or 21 cents or 24 cents uh, to make the point that it's not about the per share price of the business. It is about the value creation inside that business. And when the market is efficient, which is not very often from time to time, but roughly over time, it gets more efficient or at least price tends to follow the, the value of the company. There is no reason why CSL can't be a $200,000 share price, rather $270 share price at some point over a long enough period with enough compound growth. And that's the story of high share prices. Yeah, and it's, it's, it absolutely is the story of inflation. The, the reason that you see that really high number is you take 50 years of 20% growth mm-hmm. and yeah, that's, right. that's, that's what's going to happen. That's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other way is it's more reasonable to to think about it too is is to think of the um, what the actual earnings are. It's a very it's a very high share price, but mm-hmm. on a on a oh, geez, I should have looked this up before I started talking. But, <laughs> but 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 the the amount of money it's making on a per share basis is also really 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 high. Um, uh, yeah, so it's 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 all it's all an abstraction. You know, people get so caught up on this. I I, I don't. I've run out of ways to explain it. I think you either have people who, it's not hard. It's really not hard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but, but some people just really struggle to get, to get past it. Um, yeah. You know, if, if, if the shoe hasn't dropped, I don't know, buy an ETF, direct <laughs> investing isn't for you. Oh, baby, oh, look, I, I look, being cruel to be kind, like it's just you, you've, all, you've got to know your limiter. If, if some of these concepts, and look, for some people they might be, but if these concepts are hard, you know, you're in, you're in the wrong game. That sounds so right. I, I think, I think like. that's I think that's true. I will also say though that the message is not just for those who've been listening for the whole five plus years we've been doing this podcast, but for people who are new to the podcast and for the questions we get semi regularly about how much is too much or yeah, but surely this is too much. Um, I think that's that's the other thing, mate, is even I don't know, I, I'm not I'm not even sure I'm completely immune to this. Did I did I think at three hundred thousand dollars Berkshire had a thirty percent upside in twelve months? No, did, you know, like it. Buffett himself is saying, "Well, look, from now it's probably going to grow about the rate of the S and P because it's already expensive, and he means expensive in terms of market cap, not not per share price." But there is, do you not fall to the same sort of uh, temptations of cheaper probably has more upside? I, I even despite the fact that I know these things, I got to admit, part of my brain still goes. Well, it's cheap. It's twenty cents. I got to go up by five cents to be a you know twenty five percent gain. If you're not, if you're not yeah. at least falling victim of that from time to time, but yeah, not yeah. Up, but at least thinking about it. Yeah, I, I have. I, I'm more prone to it on a relative basis. So whatever the price is, if it's gone up, okay. I feel as like, oh, I've missed out. You know, I, I do all that stuff all the time, which is yeah, just, right, I'm really right. trying to shake. Um, <laughs> so it's not so much that it's you know CSL's two hundred dollars or whatever it happens to be. It's more that it was a hundred and now it's up that much. Or you know, whether a stock is twenty yeah, cents yeah. and now it's forty. Oh, yeah. there's that missed out kind of feeling, which is really <laughs> dumb. You know, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to get better. I've I've actually gotten a bit better at it. But this idea of averaging up, everyone talks about averaging down. Mm, yes, the averaging yes. up is when you buy shares as they go up. Now people yep. will be going, why on earth would you do that? Well, the reality <laughs> is, is that you know, right now I've got a particular view on a company. Might be right, might yeah. be wrong. So I'm, I, I, yeah. I, I put some money behind it. Six, 12 months later and then more information is available. And it may be that 
that the investment case has not only been proven out but strengthened. <laughs> My share price is up yeah. but actually the That's risk right. has gone down. So it's actually yeah. – and, in fact, you can have – this this is what tends to mess with people. You can have a share price that goes up, but the value improves. And the value improves because that's the right. earnings outlook just got so much better. So the shares that's are twice right, as expensive, right. but now the company's expecting you to make 10 times more than it was, you know, for example. Yeah, yeah. So so we can, it, it, it's, and I've actually done re- much better than that that I have on averaging down, let me tell you. Because averaging down, you just keep throwing good money after bad a lot of the time. <laughs> um, when you have something that's just executing well and is getting stronger yeah. and stronger and stronger, just buy more, buy more, buy more. Um, you know, again, with an eye to value, but don't, don't not buy it. Just because you could have bought more when it when it happened to be uh, a lower price, I was going to say cheaper when it was a lower price. <laughs> it may right. be it may be cheaper now with the price even going higher. You know what helped me think about this actually, mate? It's, a, it's a, one that might make sense for some people. Um, it's actually people paying for staff. And you think about you know is it, is it more expensive to hire the bloke with twenty years experience than the guy at a uni? Yeah, absolutely. But are you getting more value for that guy or the guy who's been working in your business now for two or three, four years or girl? Uh, is she more capable than the new starter? Yeah. Do you have to pay more? Yeah. Why? Because in theory, you're getting more out of that person. In other words, you're actually better off paying. So if someone starts with your business on 50 grand a year and then five years later, you're paying her 100 grand a year, you've, you've averaged up, right? You said, I like this person. I want to pay them again to work for another year for me. And I'm going to pay twice as much as I paid them five years ago. Why? Because they're worth more to me. They've actually developed, they've grown, they've got more experience, they've got more customer relationships or, or, or technical ability or whatever it is. That's kind of the story of, of you know people being paid to do their jobs, right? And mm. very few of us get paid less the next year and the rest mm. of the year after that. And mm. paying more, saying, you know what, I can, I can fire that person with five years experience. I could, I could average down, I could go get a uni grade for, for half the price. Look how much more money I'll save or how much more you'll make or how more obviously that person must be cheaper or better mm. value. It just doesn't work, and it's it's a it's a different example. We don't oh, we talk about assets, you know, about people. But I just I, it occurred to me the other day. I was thinking about wages for whatever reason, probably for with everything going with inflation, and just you know, just occurred to me that that's almost the perfect example of averaging up is is recognizing that people, staff, actually are more valuable the longer you have them and are worth paying more for because they offer more to you. We kind of instinctively get that when it comes to employing staff. We don't always get that. It's always a lot one for one. There's plenty mm. of overpaid people, plenty of underpaid people. But we kind of get that instinctively when it comes to, to people. We really, it's hard work to get it when it comes it's to, a great analogy. to assets like shares. Mate, if you're in front of a judge because you've done something naughty and you've got the $25,000 a day QC hi, hi, in your corner yes. <laughs> versus, you know, the, the free counsel that's been uh, assigned to you. I mean, look, there's a difference. They're, they're just, they're just a, a massive difference. Where, you're not going to try and save a few Bob, are you? Like, you know, I'll, I'll get I'll get the $5,000 QC or the $25,000 QC. I'll try and save 20 grand. It's like, eh, it might keep me out of jail. I'll, I'll pay yeah. up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, and this keeps coming back to government, but there are areas where it doesn't work. So if you're in an Amazon pack where, warehouse packaging center, if you're in an abattoir, if you're in, in the lowest skilled jobs, the dynamics are different. Yep. So that you can actually yep. pay less and less and less and less and less and less. You get you write down, mm-hmm. which is which is which is why there needs to be sort of controls and stuff around that kind of stuff because that Correct. this is this is where you got to be careful with some of the ideology. You're absolutely right in everything you say. In, in generally speaking, yeah. it's it's worth paying up for things, and people who are really good at their jobs will be have a great deal of negotiating power. A lot of people don't, and and yeah. we shouldn't um, forget them, and they should be looked after as well. And you and I should be paid more. <laughs> we should be paid. Well, it's not going to be hard to be paid more than zero, mate. 
<laughs> All right, well, I should be paid more. I'll get paid yeah. your half. Um, <laughs> mate, we've, we've gone over time. It was, it was a fun chat and a very worthwhile chat. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think just let... In, Maybe the bottom line here on all of the topics we talk about are assess value independent of price. It's not a new idea. It's the oldest idea in the world. Don't let the market tell you what share price, whether it's the petrol price, the share price in China, whether it's the Berkshire Hathaway share price, whether it's even the sub... No, well, let's go back into subsidies for fees. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's just remember that, uh, yeah, price is what you pay, value is what you get. As Nicely as, said. Was it Warren yeah. said that? Did Could have had know? a much shorter podcast Someone. if we said that. I think it was Ben Graham, but or Warren Buffett, one of the two. Yeah. JP Morgan. Will you come back on Sunday? Oscar Wilde. I will. I will. (laughs) Mark Twain. Until then, (laughs) as Mark Twain would say, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.